Christmas Grace, and uh, this morning, children, you may be dismissed at this time for your class. Mrs. Johnson's in the back there. This morning, we're going to notice Christmas Grace from a harlot's house. Christmas Grace from a harlot's house. As I've said each week, you're going to need to Listen to the message as we kind of have a pretty radical title, but we've been going through the we've been going through the genealogy of of Jesus Christ, and I don't know about you, but are you one of those that are uh, upset uh, with your family tree? Uh, if not, perhaps you have a relative uh, who has an account with Ancestry.com. And uh, they've been encouraging you. You need to find out, you know, who's who's connected uh, to to your family. Usually, uh, what I've heard is that you will find that you're connected to some, you know, famous person or uh, some kind of royalty. And uh, whether that's whether that's accurate or not, uh, it does give one sense of importance, and it may boost one's self-esteem if you're connected to some popular or uh, famous, you know, uh, king or queen of yesteryear. But when we consider the reasons for exploring Jesus's family tree, as Matthew 1 begins with, as well as in Luke chapter number 3, we're perplexed by both the task of trying to do so, as well as the differences between the two genealogies. And so let me ask you a question. If Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and He is divine as the Son of God, and certainly He is, what is the importance of His earthly lineage? What is, uh, what, what, why have we spent these weeks studying it? And virtually every name in the list reveals some lesson about God's grace. Together they clearly show how important God's grace is from generation to generation, how he's nurtured and how he how how he's protected the lineage that he chose to give birth to the Messiah, to his son Jesus. All of these genealogies of Christ, they are uh, they're the, they're a chronicle of God's grace. The genealogies are included in Scripture for the very reason that you and I can understand and see that grace. Not only do they trace the royal line of Israel, but they also outline God's dealings with His people. They reveal how God's sovereign hand has ordered human events to fulfill His own purposes, despite all types of different obstacles. Mankind's worst sin, rebellion and treachery, have utterly failed to thwart the grace of God. The lineage of Judah's kings, they went all the way back to David. And God's promise was that David's offspring would be ultimately the one that would bring forth the one who would deliver Israel. 
the one who would reign as king. And speaking to David through the prophet Nathan, God said in 2 Samuel 7, And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. What this meant was that the claim to the throne of Israel had to demonstrate genealogical evidence that descended down from David. It had, they had to be able to prove that it was a line of royalty. And Scripture records this line of Jesus Christ with, with accuracy and without error. The genealogies had a practical use as well in the Old Testament times of Israel. They were often essential for conducting conducting business. There was all different types of business transactions that your genealogy was important. Laws governing the buying and the, and the selling of property, for instance, were designed to make sure that those, those lines, those, those boundaries stayed intact. Land could not be bought or sold across tribal lands in the day uh, in which Christ was, uh, was born. Therefore, a person's genealogy was required simply to validate the sale, to, to validate the property. They would say, okay, this is, this, is my, this is my lineage, this is my heritage, and I go to this line, this, this belongs to me. So it was important. The entire priesthood also depended on genealogies. All of Israel's priests had to demonstrate that they were from Levi's line. They had to prove that. After the Babylonian captivity, uh, Ezra, he used genealogies to determine which priests had the legitimate claim to office. And if you could not come to Ezra after the, uh, after the Babylonian captivity, once they got freed again and they started practicing uh, the, you know, the, 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 um, the feasts and things that God had put in place for his people, you had to come to Israel to Ezra, excuse me, and you had to show him that you were of the genealogy of Levi and then you could practice being a priest. And if you couldn't prove that, even if you said it, but you couldn't prove it, you were not allowed to be one of the, to, to serve as one of the priests. And so for all of those reasons, amongst others, genealogies were carefully recorded and they were guarded. The most important ones were, of course, preserved in Scripture. And this practice went on for centuries throughout the time, uh, even leading up to Jesus' birth. In fact, the very New Testament, as we have been looking at these weeks, it begins with a genealogy. We find that Joseph and Mary, they're, they're going up to be registered. And they got to do so according to their own ancestry. They had to go to Bethlehem. We just, we just sang about it. And that was their ancestral home. And so at the time of Jesus' birth, they were, they, they, they were still identifying people in a uh, genealogical way. In Luke chapter number 2, we see in verse number 3, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Okay, and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. 
And so he had to, he had to, he had to prove his, his, his genealogy. And so kind of give you a little bit of a, a little bit of a background of why this was even listed here in Matthew chapter 1 as well as in Luke chapter number 3. But let's get back to Jesus' amazing story grace on display in His lineage. Buried in the genealogy of Jesus and Matthew is a gospel treasure. And it's the treasure of five women. Their inclusions in the list is notable because always the the parent of a genealogy was always father son and then once that son became a father it was always through the father and the son that's how the genealogies uh, would have been recorded and so the five women that are included in in this genealogy ultimately ending with Mary giving birth to Jesus but their their inclusion is also notable because these five women are some of the most notorious women in Bible history. Take Ruth. A couple weeks ago, Ruth was the product of incest. You remember the story that we looked at a couple weeks ago of Sodom and Gomorrah and how Lot and his, the rest of his family died, but he had two daughters. And in fear of that their, that their seed not go on, they got their father drunk in the cave of Zoar. And the very first daughter was impregnated by their father of incest. And their son, whose name was Moab. And as we connected the dots, Ruth was a Moabitess. And how you see even in that cave, in that nasty, dirty, just place of sin that took place of incest, you see Christmas grace from Lot's cave. And then last week we looked at Bathsheba and how from her rooftop of that adultery and that ultimately David leading to the death of Bathsheba's husband of Uriah, you see the line of David coming through there and you see Christmas grace even from a scandalous rooftop of Bathsheba. And that brings us actually to the first woman that's named in the lineage. We didn't go in particular order, but we see in Matthew 1, we come to Tamar. Matthew 1, verse number 3, and Judas begat Perez, and Zerah of Tamar, and Perez begat Ezram, and Ezram begat Aram. Do you remember Tamar? Remember Tamar? Now it's not a, it's not the, sometimes, a lot of times when we think of Tamar, we think of Amnon had a friend and he, he forced himself upon Tamar for sensual pleasures. That's not the Tamar that is being mentioned here. Tamar entered the royal bloodline of the Messiah. You ready for this? By disguising herself as a prostitute and seducing her father-in-law, Judah, so her, so the line would go forth. So, so he would, and, 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 and he made her pregnant. Now, honestly, Judah had honestly this coming because he hadn't kept his word. And so let's, let's go back to the story. Let's go to Genesis chapter number 33, and we'll begin reading up on the screen, verse number six. And Judah took a wife from Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. 
And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. And Judah said unto Onan, Go in unto thy brother's wife, and marry her, and raise up seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. And it came to pass, when he went in unto his brother's wife, that he spilled it on the ground, lest that he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Back in, back in Bible days there, when, when, a, when you had a brother that wasn't married, and, there, and, 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 the, and the, 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 the husband died, it was just of, of the custom that an older brother would then take his brother's wife and would continue uh, continue the seed along. And so that's what you see taking place here. But the other brother, he didn't want anything to do with it. And so he took measures into his own hands. God didn't like that. And God slew him. Verse 11. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow at thy father's house till Shelah, my son, be grown. For he said, Lest peradventure he die also as his brethren did, and Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So Judah said, hey, I, what I want you to do is I want you to just go, go back home. I want you to, want you to dwell with your dad. You're, you're, you're a widow right now. My, my youngest son, he's not of age yet. But when he gets of age, I will give him unto you as a husband. And my oldest son's line will continue even though he had died and his middle son had died also. Verse number 12. And in process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up unto his sheep shears to Timnath. He and his friend uh, Hira, the Adulamite, unto his sheep shears to Timnath. Excuse me, verse 13. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear his sheep. And she put her widow's garments off from her and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat at an open place which is by the way to Timnath for she for she saw that Shelah was grown and she was not given unto him to wife so Judah didn't keep his word verse 15 when Judah saw her he thought her to be an harlot because she had covered her face and he turned unto her by the way and said go to I pray thee let me come in unto thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What wilt thou give me that thou mayest come in unto me? And if you continue down through the chapter, they, have, they, ha they, they make an agreement of what Judah will give to her. And then she, he goes in unto her. She becomes expectant. And she gives... Um, she gives birth, and she's, she's, in the, she's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. A daughter-in-law dresses up like a prostitute and tricks her father-in-law in Jesus' line. And then also in his line is another woman by the name of Rahab. And we see Rahab in Matthew 1, verse 5. This will all have a concluding point here in a moment. And Salmon begat booze of Rechab or Boaz. We've got to understand is a lot of times these are, some of you asked me a few weeks ago, the spellings are different. One was because you have Hebrew and Greek. 
and the spelling of it translated into English. And so Salmon begat Booz, or that's Booz of Rahab, or Rahab, and Booz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. Now listen, Rahab, she didn't need to disguise herself. Okay? She wasn't like Tamar who had to disguise herself as a prostitute. She literally had been a prostitute. In Hebrews chapter number 11, kind of what is often known as maybe the hall of faith, so to speak, it says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And so Rahab... She's a harlot, she's a Gentile, and she's a Canaanite of all things. Listen, that's not a great pedigree. That's not what you'd want to find on Ancestry.com for your lineage. And yet, this is what you, this is what you find. This is what you, this is what you read. The, the, the scandal. She and her family were the only survivors of the conquest of Jericho. Because she hid the spies who came to Jericho. I think many of you uh, know the stories where they walked around the walls of Jericho. She had the, the red you know, thread coming out of her house and she was able to be spared. And so she hid them from the king of Jericho who wanted to kill these spies. Uh, her confession is found in Joshua 2 verse 11. As soon as we had heard these things... Our, this, is, uh, this is Rahab speaking. Our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you, because of the spies. They were saying, hey, God's going to judge this place. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. And many would take that as Rahab's confession of believing in the God of Israel when they would have been pagan land there. And so once integrated into Israel, she married Salmon. Imagine how that would have gone. Imagine the, imagine the dating experience of someone that used to be a harlot. You know, you can just kind of think about that, how that would have gone on. These are the, these are the stories that would have surrounded the Ancestry.com of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Stories like this. And obviously... This They would have given um, birth eventually down to King David. And uh, this was King David's great-great-grandmother. She gave birth to Boaz, who ended up marrying Ruth. You see that connection there. And her story certainly affirms the, the power of God to transform a life. Someone who at some point used to be a harlot, now she trusts the God of Israel, trusts Christ, and now her life is completely changed. And you have a story as well as I do. But each of these women, they highlight for us grace. All five of these women, even Mary, share something in common. Disgrace. See, Mary was accused of being with child without being married. These women either committed or suffered disgrace. They all had tainted reputations. They likely would have all endured multiple years, if not a lifetime, of contempt from people, of, of, of gesturing jokes towards them. And the first of the four, excluding Mary, probably would have struggled with very painful 
and wretched memories for their entire lives. And here's the thing. Don't miss it. I'm almost done. You've, you've listened well as I kind of gave you the, the history there of genealogies. Most of us want to conceal the more disgraceful or distasteful events of our lives. Maybe the people in our families. Can I just say really quick here? A lot of times we want to hide those types of things is in church. We want to come to church and we want to put on a facade that everything is okay. Listen, you and I, we want to come to church. We want to come broken. We want to come to a place where, where, where we can be real. We want to come to a place where, where a man or woman can hear about our week and we don't bat an eye. You say, well, Ryan, you don't know, you don't know what happened in my week. You don't know what I said in my week. You don't know what I, you don't know what I heard or, or, or what I thought in my week. I doubt any of us committed incest this week. I doubt any of us murdered this week. If you did, you can see Pastor Mike later. He'll have the confession booth in the back. But I doubt we did that. The affairs and the murders and the incest and the prostitution. Listen, you're weak fits into the lineage of Jesus. That's why he came. To rescue you from your weak. Most of us, we want to conceal it. Most of us, we like to hide. Not Jesus. He was out of his way to draw attention to these women whose very names call us to scandalous things. Why? Well, I think it reminds us long before Matthew begins even the story of Christ's birth was why he came. Before we even learn of the, uh, of the virgin birth, before we get to verses 18 and 19 and 21 and where they're going to call his name Jesus, we learn here's why he came. He came to save incest. He came to save murderers. He came to save adulterers, those that were willing to, to hide them, the, 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 their reality and be, basically become a harlot. Even in the genealogies, God weaves grace. Listen, He loves to redeem sinners. He loves to produce something beautiful out of ugly backgrounds, of ugly histories, out of ugly skeletons. God loves to step into chaos. He loves to step into to the brokenness of your past and He loves to redeem that. He loves to make foreigners His children. God loves to reconcile His enemies. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled or we were brought back, we were bought back to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. You know what God loves to do? God loves to take scandal and redeem it. God loves to take your weak. He loves to take your weak. And He loves for you in a moment for you to run to Him, not from Him. And to restore that.
and to give you the grace that's needed to go on into the next week. You say, God, I don't want to think that way. God, I don't want to live that way. Then you run to him. And on Christmas morning 2,000 years ago, but on this Sunday, you run to him and you find the same grace that these women and these men that are listed as well found in Christ. Each of these women, they're beautiful old covenant illustrations of what God would later say to Peter when clarifying that His grace is extended to all people. Cornelius was having, uh, the, the Peter, they're having dreams. And in Acts chapter number 10, I'm, I'm going to read the verse and explain it. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou unclean. And so there were different, there were different people groups within the long story of Acts chapter number 10. And they were wondering, well, some of them are some of them are Gentiles and some of them are God's people. And you know what God told Peter? God told Peter, said, listen, if they're if they're in Christ, they're clean. It doesn't matter their past. It doesn't matter if they were part of God's chosen people or if they came through a Gentile, Canaanite, prostitution, incest type of lineage. All of them in Jesus Christ become clean. Don't call them unclean. And that is a word for you and for me. Do not sit there this morning in your week, maybe that included sin, that included the wrong thought, that included maybe a wrong action. Do not sit there in shame. Instead, run to Christ. Instead, seek the forgiveness. Instead, find that there is grace for you once again this morning. The amazing good news of Christmas is that Jesus came to make notorious unclean sinners and foreigners like us. People with disgraceful pasts. Believe in His name and you become clean. John 1.12 But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on His name. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you know Jesus Christ in your, as your Savior, then listen to me. You have grace this morning. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I say to you, God is extending you grace this morning in His Son, Jesus Christ. He's saying, believe on Him. Well, what did, what did He do? He, he died on the cross to pay for our sins. For all of sin, we've all come short of the glory of God. That the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so you and I, we, we believe on His name. We trust in Jesus' name. And guess what? God extends to you grace. You trust Christ as your Savior. And you know what God does? God wipes out your record. And He writes in red or in blood, it is finished. Paid in full. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about God extending grace to you. You say, Ryan, you don't, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've been through. We've looked at some scandalous situations. And you know what God says about every single one of them? Those people, I made them beautiful. I took their life and I redeemed it. Is that your story? Are you allowing God to redeem you every day? Are you allowing God to redeem your week? Are you allowing Him to change your direction? 
If you will allow him to, if you run to him, I promise you, you will receive grace from him this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I pray that, Lord, we will have seen ourselves in the pages of these women that we have studied these weeks. Oh, we don't, most likely we don't have the exact sin to our repertoire. But Lord, I believe that we are confronted with these women early on in the lineage to cause us to acknowledge that this is why Christ came. This is who Christ came for. He came for the sick, the whole. They don't need position, God. May we, may we be real this morning before you. May we be honest before you. And may we receive the grace that is found in Christ once again this morning. I'm going to give you a moment to, to reflect. And my prayer is that you, would, that you would thank God that he saves sinners like you. That he would redeem your life. He would redeem your situation. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, in a moment I'm going to turn this service over to Mike. I'm going to be in the back. The Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart. You don't, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. You don't know if you took your last breath today, whether that would be in heaven or hell. I encourage you to come talk to me. I leave that up to the Holy Spirit. Work in your heart. Submit to the Holy Spirit. Talk to God. Thank Him for what Christmas is really all about. Taking scandal and making it beautifully, beautifully clean in Christ.